So I love this song. Inside of Me has always, to me, been a very one of her most intimate moments. Um, I think this album is very intimate in general, but that song um, is extremely intimate and very warm, and um, it's great. Which um, makes it all the more jarring when the next song starts. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the 90s were the time of CDs, mostly. Yeah. So, you know, you're listening to this track, it's, you're listening to it in this very, this one-time sequence, right? Versus a cassette, which you have to now flip over. Or right. vinyl, which was not big in the 90s. Like, 90s, right. uh, vinyl was out. Um, it right. was all about cassettes and CDs. And so, you take out the cassette, you flip it, and it's human nature, which yeah. is... Uh, her fuck you song to to all yeah. the critics um, for what she did with erotica, which told you she was not apologizing for what she did in erotica. Just because you hear this softer side of her on this record doesn't mean, you know, she's ashamed or is trying to apologize for what she did in the previous album. Absolutely no regrets. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, um, this is so confrontational um, and, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting that it didn't do well. Well, no, it's not. Like, okay, I was going to say it's interesting it didn't do well here because stylistically you'd think that it would have, but radio stations were not going to play a song that was a fuck you to them, you right. know? So I think, it. I mean, I, I think in, a, again, this is another one, when I go back to the singles choices, how I had mentioned earlier that I thought Don't Stop would have been a good single in America and I think Bedtime Story for Europe. I think here in the United States, Survival would have been a better confrontational song for a single and then Europe put out um, this one because you know you can see I mean in the United States this song peaked at number 46 but in the UK it was number 8 so clearly um, it was just not something that took in America yet the video is like one of her best videos so it's a real it's interesting that, that yeah. it was how it turned out and the video is interesting because um, the it was Jean-Baptiste Mondino, right? Yeah. And which, you know, he did a lot of her, uh, he did the Justify My Love famously, um, but he also did Open Your Heart Yeah. Um, later to do Don't Tell Me and, and Hollywood and stuff. But um, I thought the video was, I love that she basically put on the S&M stuff again. And yeah. just, and it was a very simple video. It was very much like Lucky Star where it's just like a white background and they're doing this dance routine. And she has her, her chihuahua with her Chiquita. Yeah. And it was her yeah. first dog that she ever had. Yeah. I and her and she's all in leather. Um and her oh Carlos is in it too. Um no wait, is she is she in leather? Is, is it like latex? It's latex. It's like latex. It's it's very um to me it looks very S and M bondish. Um, right. oh, no. no, I'm sorry, Wayne. It's not Carlos. It's um, the gorgeous Luca. one. Luca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luca Tomasini and yes. um, the other – wasn't one of her other dancers in there? The one the one dancer from – Michael. Um, what? Yeah, no, not Michael. Um, Fever. The Fever. Yes. Uh, performance. performance. I can't – why don't I remember his name? Um, but it was a lot of her dancers from The Girly Show. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it was a, it's a great video. It's very, and she ends saying the absolutely, absolutely no regrets, no regrets. And then, like punching, you know, like punching in the air. Yes. I, I was always disappointed that she didn't say absolutely no regrets on the, on the, like in the recording of the song, like even it is in the there, song. isn't it? She says it in there, but it's it's covered up by all the the layers of music. Oh, you know, she says I have no regrets or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's what it is. I I think it was such a it was such a great sort of um, ending to the video to have that like slam sound and then focus on her face yep. and saying absolutely no regrets. I think that that would have been a great a great way to end it. But you know, it was an afterthought. I'm sure. Well, I mean, for the purpose of the video, because if if you ever find the promo single, it has the video version on there. Right. Um, The only thing is that, of course, they they cut out the word shit by doing the door slam in there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, which which is what they did on the on GHV two, and that was such a mistake. Oh, GHV two is such a waste of project for me. I just I I wish they did more with that. Um. But yeah, I wish they would have at least put the video version in there. Even if, yeah. if, if, if they're going to just sit there and repeat the chorus and say, I'm not sorry, it's human nature, and, but they right. don't do the, I'm not your bitch, don't hang your shit on me. Like, why wouldn't you just put that on there? It, do, it doesn't create a parental advisory because it wasn't on Bedtime Stories, so why not just put it on GHV2 the same right. way? At least put the album version on there. Jeez. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then this, and it's interesting. This is one of those songs that she just continues to play live over and over and over again. But this wasn't even on celebration, was it? It's not like she doesn't consider it. it like a, it's not ever on, and it's not on her like retrospective of her whole career for greatest hits. Yet it's one of her songs that she performs in almost every tour, <laughs> which is so weird. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I will say that I I love the Madame X performance of it. And yeah. I like I like the Drowned World performance of it, and that's it. I don't like it in any other tours that I've seen it in. Well, and I'll never forgive, and I'm sure I'm going to get a, you know a lot of hate for this, but I'll never forgive Drake for making that face oh. when he, at the Coachella Festival when when she kissed him. I mean, he later said that it was not her perfume or her lipstick or something like yeah. that. But but look, all that all that matters are headlines, and that face was photographed and put on a headline, yeah. you know, with the headline of you know and. I'm not even yeah. sure why she did that. Like, not kiss him, but like perform on there. Like, I don't, just didn't seem to fit what was going on in her career. So I'm just like, why'd she even do that? But well, it was just. Later, didn't she later do some sort of like Instagram live or something where they said, what, you know, what career advice would you give yourself? And she said, never kiss Drake, no matter how many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But let's talk about – well, uh, the last thing I want to say about the video, and back in the Icon days with discussion boards, I think I got a lot of flack. I wouldn't say I got a flack, but got in arguments with people about like, oh, her hair's brown and it's just – it's cornrows. And it's like, well, no, it's more than just that because if you remember what her hair was, she had like probably three inches of, of black or dark roots and then the rest of it was blonde. And in order to cover up the, she didn't want the the blonde to show. So in order to do that, they used leather straps to right. braid her hair into to cover up. And a lot of people are like, no, it's all her hair. And then she literally admits it in an outtake of the Oprah interview where she talks about that, where she talks about like, here's something, here's a creative way I had to to change something. Yeah. So no, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. 
I loved, I also loved, yeah, no, and I loved the single cover artwork. I thought it was beautiful. Which was also done by Patrick. Yeah. um, DeMarc, say it for me. I don't know. DeMarc Collier. I I don't know. Um, Yeah. And where she looks like Courtney Love. Yeah. 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 It's, but it's, I mean, it's, and I, I know at the time there were a lot of comparisons, you know, Courtney was, I mean, we already know about what later comes at the time. <laughs> but it was a beautiful photo. Um, it was a beautiful photo shoot. Yeah, because it was on, um, she did a photo shoot for Details Magazine where it used like all those pictures. Yeah. But you know, I, I, human nature, um, I, I think that the sentiment of the song and what it's saying is extremely important. Um, but it's never been my favorite Madonna song, I, I will say. I mean, it's not like I hate it or anything. It's just not one that I... Maybe it's because I've heard it too much, but it just, it, um, you know, for the two confrontational songs on the album, Survival to me was always the, the one that I preferred. And I think it's just because it's more melodic. Yes. And um, sort of softer and less, you know, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe yeah. it's just the way. No, yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. I think with Human Nature, musically, I don't feel like the song really goes anywhere. It right. The chorus and the verses and they all kind of just sound similar um so it's like the song really never like takes off there's not like a huge bridge where the the structure of the song changes or anything like that so i can i can get that and i think it's a song that grew on me i don't know if i originally liked it when i first heard it um but it's definitely something that grew on me especially after seeing the video um and seeing her perform it on john world tour um, and then the remixes, like I like the dance remixes of it. So the nineties remixes were the thing. So yeah. you had to find a good remixer. Um, and I think there's, there's a bunch of different singles, but I think they're all on streaming now for human nature. And actually I think all these singles aside from take a bow remixes have been released on streaming. Um, yeah. but human nature, I really like the dance remix of that one. Yeah. Listen, yeah, I mean, you're right. I I agree what you were saying musically about how it's sort of one note, but, uh, you know, but lyrically, it's great. And I think lyrically, in a way, it kind of sums up Madonna's attitude to her whole career, doesn't it? I mean, this sort of like, you know, fuck you, I'm not interested in what you have to say or your opinion of me. And that's still her, um, that's still how she is today. And really, that's why we all love her so much. You know, her unapologetic, that she's an unapologetic bitch, right? And so I think that, I think that for me, I've always loved human nature lyrically. And I was always kind of wishing that it was just something different musically. Now I can't tell you what it is that I wish that it was, but, um, but I, but I do love the the lyrics. So, um, and I love the video. So, but again, like it wasn't a hit here. And I just think it wasn't the right single choice for America. And at the time, I, so we haven't gotten to take a bow yet, but it's interesting how this album had four singles, um, and Secret was the first one. It was a big hit. And Take a Bow, which we'll get to later, was an even bigger hit. Yet the second two singles um, were flops in America. And I just think it showed sort of the public's, like, um, you know, they only could deal with so much Madonna at one time, perhaps, or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what it was. It was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. And and I think... Um... Part of the the criticism too is because she worked with multiple producers on this record. She originally was supposed to work with Shep, but ended up not. Um, yeah. Which you guess would probably be more of a dance record, uh, right. but 
she decided to go with um, like Dave Hall, Nellie Hooper, Dallas Austin, and Babyface. Um, so it kind of, I think they did a good job of sequencing the album. So it stayed very uh, together in, in some ways and had a, a nice transition until you get to like the end where you have these like weird ethereal techno-ish type songs and then right. closing the album with take a bow, which we'll get to. Right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm foreshadowing already, but I think um, it was very interesting because I think the singles that ended up getting released just felt very different from each other musically. Yeah. Like secret yeah. was this acoustic kind of R and B song. Um, take a bow was while it was still a little R and B, but it was very adult contemporary human nature was just all kind of like R and B sounding and then bedtime stories just has this like um weird club techno ish sound like people didn't know what to do with it especially here in america right right because it didn't have like pop sensibility it wasn't melodic and and so i think you're right i think there was there was some sort of like oh okay well i liked take a bow um I'm done listening to Madonna now. <laughs> right, yeah. Not fans, just I think just like the public perception is like if if you're not going to give me what I've already heard and keep it kind of static, then I'm I'm already getting off this train. But as we know, you need to stay on the train. You need to it's a cathartic journey. Yeah. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with art. <laughs> but I do think that this second half of the album is a strange, like every song is amazing, but every song is so different and, you know, doesn't necessarily have this. Like, I think the first half of the album really flows seamlessly from one song to the next. The second half is very different every song. And I think, um, like, you know, actually you could say that, you know, going from inside of me at the the very end, because like I would listen to the whole album, you know, as, you know, on CD, um, it just kind of you take you have a whole different mood for every single song yeah. for the second half, which is interesting, you know. Yet it does, it does, but it does work together as a whole yeah. project. Yeah, and I'd say like it, the only exception to that rule is probably the next two tracks, "Forbidden Love" and "Love Tried to Welcome Me." Yeah. I think those two work well together. Like they're like if we listen to "Inside of Me," "Forbidden Love," and "Love Tried to Welcome Me," I'd probably feel very depressed because if I listen to all three of those in a row. So I like that they put human nature um, after inside of me to kind of break up that monotony of, of kind of like these songs are kind of depressing. Um, If you, if you look at the lyrical content and of course the music is very emotional, Uh, but forbidden love is one of the songs she wrote with Babyface, And of course he's featured on it. Um, And it's the first forbidden love and, for me, the only Forbidden Love, because I'm I'm not a huge fan of the Confessions version. I love Forbidden Love. I like that it was used on Something to Remember also. And I love the bridge to this song. Because like, if I only had one yeah. wish. And I, um, that's, it's one of my favorite songs on the record. What are your thoughts? I love, um, actually, I love both versions of Forbidden Love. My, um. Well, not ver- they're two separate songs. They're not versions, right? True. There's, there's, yes. They're two Correct. totally different songs. So, so Bedtime Stories had a, just in case anybody doesn't know, Bedtime Stories has a song called Forbidden Love and Confessions on a Dance Floor has a completely different song called Forbidden Love, which was kind of stupid to not give them something different. Like, you know, I don't know how you would do it. But I think 
you know, um, the Forbidden Love here on this album is a very um, lush R&B duet, really, with Babyface. And um, it really f- takes you back to 1994, um, that time period when, you know, Tony Braxton was at the top of the charts yep. and uh, Mariah. And it was very, it was it was that kind of a sound. And it really, but yet it didn't feel like Madonna was, you know, trying to copy anybody or chase a trend. She was doing her own thing and it was unique and lovely harmony, the bridge, lovely harmonies. Yeah. And she, what Madonna had said about um, working with these artists is that she did kind of want to go in the R and B direction. And yeah, that was sort of like the trend, but I don't, you know, when I eventually get to hard candy, I'll talk about her chasing trends, but um at least for this album i feel like this was more of the direction she wanted to go she wasn't really trying to copy anything what she did is she's like i like i want to go in this direction of music let me get what those best writers that are doing it right now and babyface was one of them and and i think she had said that like babyface's songs are like rolls royce rolls royces um the design is a classic the ride is smooth and they're built to last and so i think that Madonna is a great curator of talent, so I always feel like she's going to pick the best people to do the the kind of things that she wants to do. I mean, you know, all jokes aside, with Hard Candy, she had a direction she wanted to go. She knew who she wanted to work with, and she did it. Um, I personally have a different like opinion. Uh, my opinion is very different than other Madonna fans on Hard Candy, but um, <laughs> I I don't hate her for it and i don't necessarily like hate the record it's just not something i prefer and this this record could also be something that bands don't prefer either i mean i i guess i'm just trying to apologize for myself for shitting on hard candy all the time but well you shouldn't because hard candy is a justin timberlake album featuring (laughs) on on backup vocals and i'm sure that people are going to turn off this podcast right now um because of that but that's fine. No, I mean, really, this album, um, Bedtime Stories, really was, even though it was um, working with a lot of those top producers, it was very organic and very Madonna and very much, um, you know, and Forbidden Love really was, you know, it fit with, this, with the sounds of that time. And, um, you know, and then moving into the next track, Love Tried to Welcome Me, interestingly, is a very it's very unique too. It almost sounds like a musical theater song to me. It's probably my favorite track on this album. And I feel like it's just very emotional. It gives me all the feels like I can just turn it on. It, it lets me get me back to my, like whenever I feel like depressed, I'll listen to this song to get me out of that depression because it, it, it feels very, it feels like a very depressing song. Mm, and I definitely. think she said she wrote this watching a stripper on a pole, like going to a strip club and watching yeah. a stripper. And it kind of inspired her to write this track about she created this whole background story for this stripper or whatever. It's it's literally probably my favorite track. on. It's one of my favorite Madonna songs. Um, and I it, it's it's a song I will just put on by itself. Like I won't even have to listen to the album to listen to the song. Like I, like I do for some of the other tracks, but this is one of the ones that like stands out for me. Yeah. It's, um, it's very lonely. This song, mm-hmm. it's very kind of, um, 
it's sad uh, a sad song i it's funny i think back to the you know <laughs> i think back to like when this album came out and i used to think you know in my adolescent you know having a crush on you know whichever guy and i had a crush on um i would be like you know singing this song and thinking about that crush and feeling so lonely but like you know i mean the lyrics are so deep and certainly when you're like 15 or 16 years old that's ridiculous because you're not having that deep feelings but um feelings that are that deep but as but it was still you know um, I really related to it at the time. And now, you know, um, I think, wow, I was, it wasn't, it wasn't that dramatic, Greg. It was just high school, but, yeah. um, but I love the song. Um, I love it. I, I mean, it's strange. I don't, I, I'm not sort of um, going through those particular feelings personally anymore, feeling lonely and not that, you no, I take that back. Everybody feels lonely from time to time. Right. Of so course. it's not like that. And, and depression um, you know, it's something I struggle with too, but I just think, um, I don't know, I have a different appreciation for it now, a more adult appreciation yeah. for it. But I love it. I think it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful song. The bridge is my favorite. And I love that she repeats the bridge actually makes sense for this song where it does the instrumental and then it brings it back by, by using the bridge. Well, and you mentioned, you know, gazing out a window or something. Didn't you just say yeah. something like that? So I think that this would work. Like I always imagine it in a show, like, you know, or a movie, like somebody in that, like it's very, it has very a lot of imagery with this song. You know, the idea of somebody like, you know, having this sort of like moment alone, they're lonely, they're looking out the window, they're, you know, being very introspective. And um, I think that it really tells a beautiful story. And I think it's some excellent songwriting. I mean, the lyrics are, are um, they paint a beautiful picture of a scene and, um, I don't know. I think hearing it, you really kind of can tell, you know, you can see it's almost like a painting, right. With a lot of different yeah. colors on it and stuff. And I think she just really was doing some great songwriting, um, at the time. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, the song just like, it sends me, it sends me into this other kind of realm within myself, very self-reflective of like, yeah. what, like you said, like when you are feeling lonely, like why, it, it, you kind of just start asking yourself like why am I feeling this like what is, what's going on in my head and what am I thinking so and that's why I say like whenever I feel like I'm I might be feeling down on myself or feeling depressed I'll listen to this because this song feels lower than I feel like to me this is like a gut-wrenching you know cry for help like inside my own head so it, it kind of allows me to get myself out of it by listening to something like this yeah yeah I think that this was a good track to remember at the, uh, it was something to remember. No, uh, this was a good track for people who, uh, you know, thought that Madonna was like, you know, um, either all like fluff dance um, pop artists, or she was just all sex, sex, sex all the time. This was so opposite of all of that. And it was just a unique song um, in the middle of this album that was, I mean, this is a very, this is like reading somebody's diary, yeah. right? Like reading Madonna's diary and thinking, I remember thinking to myself, my gosh, she like is really, um, you know, going through, like it felt to me like she was really going through something and really feeling um, alone and in pain and all those things. And um, she was letting us in, you know? So right. um, I don't know. It's a, it's a great song. I mean, Adele could have covered it on 30. It would <laughs> fit right in uh back to madonna uh sanctuary 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 this is another one of my favorite tracks and yeah again because love tried to welcome me all already puts me in a different sort of like mindset kind of 
takes you to another realm. Sanctuary literally takes you to like an alternative universe and it carries on through bedtime story. But um, Sanctuary uh, just has this very weird sound that you've never heard from Madonna. Like this is different music. So it's, we've, we're now past R and B right now. Um, and we're now taken into music that's similar to like Bjork and massive attack who she will work with. And, um, Bjork actually co-wrote bedtime story, but sanctuary just feels very otherworldly. It does. It's it's very different than the sounds of the the all the sounds that we've heard so far on the album. She's singing in that whisper voice. She's singing in that little girl voice from inside of me. Again. Yes. And it's I don't know. I think of it think of it like um Puck from a Midnight Summer's Dream. Oh yeah. Where she's she's kind of like the narrator taking you into this world. Yeah. And it's very poetic. Like the the lyrics are very poetic, and she also um, quotes. Um, it's Walt Whitman, right? There we go. Thank you. It fits. It makes sense, and it just kind of sets the tone for the whole song. And it also the other thing about this part of this album, um, bedtime story. I'm sorry, sanctuary into bedtime story, and of course the songs are they they flow right in there into one another. Um, it is very much a, a sort of like sign of things to come with Madonna's career. Exactly. Um, looking forward to this sort of like, and you know, so was I want you with, with massive attack looking forward to what would be ray of light, you know, in the late nineties when she got into that more electronic sort of sounds. Yeah. And even with um, the, I'll remember remix that like, um, I think it was called the, was it the William orbit? remix i think even with that like if you put you put that track with these two with sanctuary and bedtime stories and i want you those tracks all sound like they belong together together yeah yeah like a yeah mini ep of electronic yeah um but let's let's go ahead and go into bedtime stories because that was a single that was released that was the third single that was released right yep on february 13th 1995 and in order to promote this single in the video, she had a pajama party at Webster Hall. Yes, she did. And yeah. she was dancing in her nightgown. Her titty fell out. Junior was there. MTV was there and showed us everything that happened. Because at one point there, she was on a bed and she decided to try to tell an audience of drunk 20-somethings um, – a child story, <laughs> which they kept like shouting out, shouting out. And at one point, um, Madonna gets upset and gives kind of like this speech. And then someone shouts out, you go, girl. And she goes, I will go if you don't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, I think that people were um, – I think that particular uh, pajama party was really – I mean – it shows that there was an audience for her that would have gone to see her on a tour yeah. if she had played the album. I think that, I mean, really the pajama party was, was kind of ridiculous. I mean, that she was <laughs> going to sit and read a book. I mean, the dancing and stuff was fun, but I always remember it feeling very kind of like manic and chaotic and, you know, they're dancing and then she's trying, then she's like reading this. What was the, what was the name of the book? Miss she read? Spider's Tea Party. 
tea party. So she's, re- but she literally reads the book, like, and turning the pages. And people, of course, are screaming because. Show us the pictures. Right. Like, why is she reading a children's book? I mean, it was a cute concept, but I think, you know, in the end, people would have loved to hear her sing something or, you know, but that's okay. Listen, who else in the history of music has done that? Right. right? Nobody has done that. Madonna was thinking very much ahead and very much out of the box to say like, oh, we're going to do a bedtime story pajama party and invite a whole bunch of people. And I'm going to read a bedtime story. I mean, that was a really interesting novel kind of concept even if it didn't necessarily work seamlessly it was unique well i think it i think it would have worked maybe not her reading the bedtime story which i think if mtv was not there it would have been like a cool party you know and if, if i had attended it probably is like it probably was a cool party you know putting yourself in that moment but i think watching it on tv you're watching people dance a lot of the time um in their pajamas and, um, you know, of course, they, they cut to the interview segment with Kurt Loder, and then, of course, Miss Spider's Tea Party, and then the premiere of the video. I'm not sure if it worked well for television. I think it was just, um, yeah, the whole, like, reading of the story just seemed silly. And then they re what I hate is that they re-edited it um, when they started showing repeats of it, where they cut out some of that banter where she's complaining yeah, to the audience, yeah. which I hated because that that's actually what made it funny to watch. Well, and that's her. That's her personality. Exactly. You know, I think in a way, this was sort of like a precursor to what she did this past summer uh, for Pride, where she went out and she just performed at the the club, the gay club, and then mm-hmm. um, you know, they just kind of danced with people. It was kind of like, it was sort of like that, um, except that that wasn't filmed by MTV and it was just, that was very organic and I think you're right. I think if this hadn't been filmed by MTV, um, it would have been um, you know, maybe not so manic feeling, yeah. but again, like I, but again, like even though it's not my favorite thing to watch, it never was. I, I It was never my favorite thing to watch because it just kind of seemed to go on and on, but I will say it was very unique. I mean, there was nobody else at the time. Um, I mean, nobody at the time was doing this, nor could they. I mean, you know, I love Tony Braxton. I love Mariah Carey, but neither of them could throw a pajama party and read a children's book to the audience. <laughs> it just it, in 1995, that was not going to happen. I mean, Madonna had cojones and she was, you know, going to just do whatever she wanted to do. And, and, but you know, the, my, my one thing that I will say about this is I don't think Okay, so conceptually, I think it's a cute idea, um, you know, to have a pajama party for a song called Bedtime Story and read the bedtime story. But ultimately, it has nothing to do with the song. And the song was, you know, Madonna didn't write it. Bjork wrote it. Um, Bjork and Nellie Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. Bjork didn't really, I mean, if you ever go back and listen to Bjork's sort of, um, yeah, what she has. She basically says, I... I didn't write it for Madonna. I wrote it for Nellie right. Hooper. And right. um, <laughs> I don't think she really has anything like nice to say about it. Yeah, it's kind of a dig. It's not a dig at Madonna per se, but it's kind of like she's sort of apathetic about it. Like, eh, my friend asked me to do him a favor, and so I did. And I, th- I had read somewhere that Madonna had asked her to like duet on it and that um, she be able to turn her yeah. down. <laughs> Yeah, but that would have been really cool. I think because Bjork was really big at the time with um, her debut. Debut yeah, and post, post, yeah. Which are both brilliant. 
Um, and Bjork did later re she recorded a, a, a different version of this song called Sweet Intuition. Right. Um, and it it's not nearly as good as as um Madonna's, you know, bedtime story. But um I think, at least in my opinion, but I think that the, you know, the the song I actually think is kind of brilliant and it really pointed toward the future for Madonna. Um it's interesting because this album very much, you know, is, is a moment of, you know, 94, 95, but the song is something that could have fit um, in the late 90s as, you know, it almost was before its time, right? right? It was it was I'm, foreshadowing for a ray of light, right. honestly. Yeah, and I mean, I know that she didn't write it, but nevertheless, it sort of showed her, her desire to explore this style, um, you know, and then the video is at the time it was one of the most, it was, I think the most expensive video ever mm-hmm. made until, until, uh, Scream, until Scream, which was also yeah. done by the same director, Mark Romanek. Mark Romanek. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very interesting video, very forward thinking. Um, took six days. It, it took six days to shoot. Yeah. It didn't the little, that's that, uh, sound get used, uh, by garbage in that Romeo and Juliet soundtrack song. Um, um, number one crush. Uh, uh, I think I'm they sam- sound. Um, I don't know. I think, <laughs> Did they? I think they. I think they sample it. If you go back and listen to that song, "Number One Crush" by Garbage, I think it has the uh, sound. And I and I believe it's because both were produced by Nelly Hooper. Yeah. Ah. Okay. I never. You know, I wasn't. Sh- I mean, I I always loved Garbage too. But when that song came out, I was like, I think these are the. I think that's Madonna. It probably is. I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's actually in the liner notes that they sampled it. Because speaking of samples, I, I'm going off a little off track here, but Madonna, this was probably Madonna's most sample heavy album. Yeah. Um, she sampled a ton of people. And I know that um, you said that was something that you were going to start listening to when when we decided we were going to record this together. And then I, yeah. of course, went and listened to them and I'm like, oh, OK, so like the whole beat of human nature is from this song. Yeah, <laughs> so it's quite yeah. interesting that, you know. Madonna gets sampled sometimes too. She does. Yeah. Yeah. This album was extremely, and you know, yeah, that is something I, I ended up thinking, wow, we could do an entire podcast just on the samples. So, you know, it was, it's just too much to get into, you yeah. know, but it's, this whole album has so many samples. You're right. Yeah. But, um, but also in the video, uh, you know, it's a very surrealist video. She, she borrows from a lot of um, artists, one Frida Kahlo, who she's a big fan of her work she owns i think a couple of prints of of some of her work as well um right and there's there's like one scene where madonna has dark hair but you can you hardly see it because it's like inside of this cube that this guy is that's rotating this guy's hand but apparently um she demanded that everyone on the crew call her varla when she was dressed in that outfit like with the black pigtails that's interesting. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, and this was Mark Romanek's second Madonna video. The first one being, of course, the the mm-hmm. most beautiful video, Rain. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was originally supposed to do Bad Girl. I think a couple of people were supposed to be doing Bad Girl, but um, it didn't work out or something. So he did Rain, and then he came back and did this one. Um, and it's one of my favorite videos. It's just so weird yeah. and interesting and um all the art references that are in there and uh, the whole thing where she's like floating through the air, like a ghost. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite looks. 
It's and then she reused that look when she did the um ninety nineteen ninety five Brit Awards. Yes. Uh, Where she sung the she, remix. That, yeah, the wet the juniors wet dream yes. mix. That was um that performance was amazing and iconic and she had I think Luca Tomasini yep. was in that too. Yep. Yeah. Um just two dancers and it was really just her kind of standing with fans blowing her her wig it was beautiful it was a beautiful performance and um again a sign of you know what a tour may have looked like yeah had that well this was before um but uh this was before we saw the video for bedtime story or we're before the pajama party for bedtime story right. and she was asked backstage at at the brit awards like are you going to go on tour and she goes um, I'm 99% sure. Right. Of course, what we knew, what happened between that, when she performed that, and when she had the MTV pajama party, is that she landed the role for Evita, which right. is why she didn't tour for this album, unfortunately. I mean, I'm glad she got the role that she wanted, but I kind of would have loved to see a tour of this. Yeah. To see what she yeah. would have done. Let's come back to that when we're done with sure. the last album because I have some thoughts about that. Uh, what do you think of the the remixes? Oh, I love them. I think that the very very. I think what she was doing with Junior Vasquez at the time, much like with Secret, I think his remixes were songs in and of themselves. Yeah, it's like he was very much like Shep Pettibone was able to take a song and rework it in a way that it became something completely exactly. different, but, but equally good or sometimes better. Like express yourself. Um, you know, I think that, I think that, um, this was a great remix of this song and it just worked like it was a hit by itself, you know, yeah. but, but ultimately this song in America was not a hit. It, um, only reached number 42, but in the UK, number four. So, you know, a huge hit over there, but again, another song that's not featured on her celebration. Now celebrations, you know, a big old mess, but, um, but Really, I mean, that was a huge hit in the UK. Well, when they played Bedtime Story, I remember being in the car, and whenever it would whenever it would play on the radio, which was very rarely, so when it did come on, I'm like, oh my god, it's they're playing Bedtime Story. But they always played the, the radio remix, like the Junior's Wet Dream right. radio remix. They didn't play the regular version, because right. I don't think that was very palatable to American audiences. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, yeah. And and the, really, the album version is not as um, you know. If you play the album version in a club, it doesn't have it doesn't have a driving, a real driving heavy beat or anything. I mean, the the Wet Dream mix is much is more danceable. Yeah. Um, yet the original version, the album version, is um, fits so well on the album um, that you know. I think I think those were like the right choices to make, and I I love this song. I think it's a great, but I think it's a forgotten song. Yeah, for sure. I I think yeah. if you asked like a casual fan or um, someone who is not a fan but is familiar with her music about bedtime stories or, or about bedtime story the song, they'd be like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, but probably in Europe that that would not be true. I bet in Europe people would say, Oh yeah, that was a good song. Yeah, I'd agree. You know? Well, um, the last song on this record closes out the album. And it's one of her most successful singles is Take a Bow. Take a Bow. Number one in the US, number one. Um, USA for seven weeks. Her longest running number one 
hit in America. It was used in a Friends episode when Rachel tries to chase after uh, Ross. Yeah. I was not a Friends. I was not a Friends fan, um, but I do remember just casually wa- watching that episode, not knowing that that was coming on. I'm like, oh, she's letting her music be on used on television now. That is interesting in itself. But the biggest thing that we got from this single, other than being number one for so long, is that the video, which is to me like one of her one of her most beautiful videos. Like sh- to me, she looks really good in this video. It's a beautiful, beautiful video. Um, she, it's very, it was very much a. Um pointing to Evita, right? So mm-hmm. it was it was like, it was almost like she could have sent this, you know, they always talk about the long letter that she wrote yeah. um, to Alan Parker. This would, this could have substituted, or maybe she, she did. I think she yeah. did. I think she sent, she, she okay. sent like the, the 327 page letter. Um, it always, <laughs> the number of pages always changes depending right. on which are, which interview you read. But she she sent this video along with it because she said it was um, Ava Perone that inspired yeah. her. Like when she's sitting out on the balcony watching the bullfight, um, she was inspired by like Ava Perone. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, if you were to watch this video um, and then watch Evita, you would they would seamlessly yeah. fit together. I mean, it's a beautiful video. Uh, Michael Hausman directed it. Emilio Munoz, the um, bull, a bullfighter um, from a Spanish bullfighter. It's a beautiful video, and and they did a, um, a, a MTV did a special called No Bull, the making of Take a Bow, and that is a that is a great Kurt Loder. Uh, Kurt Loder kind of like follows her around Ronda Spain, yep. and it's a beautiful, it's a gorgeous, it's it's a great interview, um, and and uh, for a for a, a fantastic video. Yeah, she's very like lighthearted, and I think you know Kurt Loder had interviewed Madonna previously a couple times, but this kind of let her. She was a little bit more um, open with him, like a little bit more like chatty and conversational and and fun with him, um, yeah. which I think this is the first interview where they kind of did that, where it wasn't just like this this one sit down interview. It was him trying to basically chase her in between takes. Um, where she's like smoking her lunch because that's what she was doing to, to not gain any weight. She was smoking at the time. Um, and you know, she was showing off some of the costumes and explaining the video. And then there was a sit down part of it, which was, which I liked. And then they, they talked about kind of the whole, uh, erotica controversy and why this record was important as a, as sort of like a clap back for some of those songs. And he asks her if she wants to have a baby yep. and, you know, because everybody talked about that at the time. Everyone Even Ruby it. asked her, that was also in the Ruby Wax interview, if she wanted to have yeah. a baby. Yeah. Um, because we all know that she wanted to, we all know that she wanted a baby around this time. And this right. is her, her biological clock was ticking like hard. And, you know, within the next year or two, she had that baby that said baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the interview where they ask her about um, Janet Jackson. Yes. Well, why doesn't she <laughs> like you? And Madonna says, "I have no idea. I mean, we don't know any of the same people." But Never met the woman. 
just rather transparent, wouldn't you say? Something like that. <laughs> well, what is it that Janet said? So I was there was it was apparently in a vibe magazine, and I've never actually read what she said, but I have seen an interview. Um, this and this is also around the time where Janet was doing like if so, which confused me because she says I think what I do because they asked her about Madonna and she says I think what I do has a little bit more class to it. And I'm like, yeah. girl, you're talking about giving head an F and grabbing <laughs> a guy's crotch. How like how how are you saying that you're more any more classy? But right. um so I just thought that was kind of humorous that she would even say that. I think, you know, I don't know if it's the industry itself or maybe it was a personal thing against each other, but I feel like, you know, it, when you start pitting two women against each other, it gets like, it can get really catty. Well, it can, but I think with Janet Jackson, who I love, by the way, Same. Um, another reason why I hate Justin Timberlake, but you know, okay. So, but I think with Janet Jackson, probably, I mean, Janet also made the comment, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I think, um, it, I think it probably, part of it comes back to even like blind ambition, truth or dare, right. Where she says, where she comes out and they say, mm, very Janet Jackson rhythm nation. Yeah. And, you know, she, so I think there's that, I think Janet probably felt a little bit hurt. And, you know, like you said, the industry was always pitting Madonna against if it wasn't Janet, it was Cindy Lauper or whomever. Right. And I think um, you're right. It's not an industry that, you know, you can only have one. Fem- I mean, or like then Madonna versus Gaga or whatever. You know, there's, there can there can only be one female performer at, at a time, right? So, um, apparently, um, and I think that you know Janet, it was weird because you're right. Like she was, yeah, singing about lots of, you know, her her stuff was very sexual at the time. Yeah. I mean, she was on the cover of Rolling Stone with you know shirt on and you know just the hands covering her breasts and. Um, which I love. You love it. Yeah. And she's talking about how she's classier than Madonna. I don't know. I think, I think, I, I wonder how things would have been different had she said, yeah, love Madonna. Think, think it's, you know, great what yeah. she's doing and good for her. Like that would have been, that would have been cool, but who, but you know, well, it's, doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of interesting that you said that, you know, there could only be one because that was, that was the trend. Like women couldn't be played back to back on the radio. Um, I don't know how it was on MTV, but you know, you typically didn't see, they didn't show like Madonna and Janet together. It was always like, here's Madonna day. Here's a Janet day. Um, and it's funny cause I was, I just watched the Jagged documentary on HBO, the one about Alanis Morissette who oh, was yeah. signed to Madonna's label within, in 95. Um, and that was kind of the same discussion. It's like, well, we can't play Alanis and no doubt, uh, back to back and mm-hmm. it's just it's just very revealing of the those times that um how misogynistic that the industry is yeah i mean courtney love complained about it and it, it, you know that time she would say well i don't understand why alanis can sell 26 million copies but whole can't um i think she told spin magazine that i think that there was that you know pe- you know you could only have one i mean the rap I just now in doing this, I just jotted down in just in like 30 seconds, I jotted down rappers. There could only be one female rapper at a time. Missy Elliott, then Foxy Brown, then Lil Kim, then Nicki Minaj, then Cardi B, then Lizzo. Like you can only like people are always, and and they're pitted pit against one another. And I think that the industry has always done that. They don't do that for men, um, but they certainly do it for women. And it's always been, 
the case. Like, like the rappers I just named, I mean, all are talented women, but um, the industry only wants, you know, one at a time. And I think that for pop, you know, Madonna and Janet Jackson do not have similar styles musically. I mean, you know, they were doing very different things at the time. And, um, but yet somehow they were still just considered yeah. like, I don't know. It's sexism, right? Of so course. See, now that's just the way it is. <laughs> um, but back to Take a Bow. They, take a Bow. Take a Bow. It's, it's, a, it's a really great track. And I think it was very fitting to close the album. I mean, it's very literal. Like, oh, Take a Bow. We're, the show's over. Uh, right. Say goodbye. Which I think Bedtime Story could have ended the album, but it doesn't feel very um, – it would have felt very unsettling to end it on bedtime yeah. story. So that's why I feel like they saved this track for the end, which is another baby face writ, uh, ha, uh, co-written and produced track. Um, and I think what she says about this is that she wrote it after listening to like a, a refrain composed by Babyface. Um, she wrote the lyrics alone while she was lying on the floor. And um, Babyface said that like he came over to her house, they worked on it and that, she had like real dedication and actually reconfirmed his interest in collaborating with other artists who bring something to the table. Um, Mm. which, you know, again, it it was, it was actually one of my favorite songs when I did hear the album and, uh, and I love that it closed the album because then it just felt like, okay, you've tucked me in. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She's read me my bedtime story and now I'm tucked in I'm ready to go to sleep now. Yeah, it's a beautiful close to the album. It had a great live performance at the 1995 American Music Awards with Babyface. Madonna yes. was in this like red red kimono or something, and it was it was a great. I mean, live vocals. It was really a beautiful performance. And she, you know, she's performed it since. I mean, I think she she did it at Tears of a Clown. She did it on the Rebel Heart tour as a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, but it is one of those songs that because it's such a song of its time, I don't think it's one, again, like it's not the one that she would go to. She would go to hum, uh, human nature over yeah. and over again. <laughs> not, yeah. Whereas this was the bigger, and it's, and it's, you know, the irony of that is that this was the, again, the biggest chart hit of her career. Um, and human nature was one of the lowest, you know, um, was not a hit at all. Um, yet, uh, it has had a longer lifespan, so it's just interesting how things work musically and, yeah, you know, artistic choices. Well, that concludes us talking about bedtime stories, yeah. the album. Now, let's just quickly before we go, and I know we've been going forever, but let's just talk about what a tour would have, what a tour would have been like, or what it could have done. Um, I'll let you tell me because honestly, I, I. I don't know. I don't know what she would have done. Like what songs would she have, she included what songs like, you know, when we finally see what she does with a tour, which is what, eight years later after the girly show to see what she did with drown world tour. You know, we basically just saw tracks from Ray of light and music. We didn't really get any hits except for two. So I don't know, would she have done the same thing? Would she have just done like the album of bedtime stories and then, mixed in a couple of relatable tra- like I don't know what what are your thoughts what would you think would be a good tour I, well I think that what she should have done um is this would have been a like like an MTV unplugged kind of event but um 
I mean, like nowadays, I mean, she couldn't have done this then, but like a theater tour would have worked really well with this album to tour this album in small venues. Yeah. Um, but this is the same person who just like, you know, a year and a half prior had been touring huge, you know, soccer stadiums all around the world. So that wouldn't have necessarily worked. But I think if she wasn't going to, a tour would have been, you're right. It could have been difficult to figure out how to logistically manage that and what it would have looked like. But I think she should have done an MTV Unplugged. And here's why. I think that this album um, lends itself well to an unplugged kind of an atmosphere or like vibe. But I also think that MTV Unplugged was very cool at the time. And I think Madonna needed um, that. Like, I think it would have given her that extra bit. I mean, Take a Bow was helpful in making her cool and having a big hit and stuff. But as we were saying, this album took Madonna from being somebody that the press kind of like hated um, and made her sort of, you know, okay with the press again. It sort of um, changed the public's perception. And I think she could have continued that with sort of an MTV Unplugged kind of a performance where, you know, she could have thrown in some of her older, like, you know, La Isla Bonita, some of older songs that would have lent themselves well to um, the Unplugged kind of style. And so it would have, you know, it could have been a Bedtime Stories with some greatest hits thrown in like you know she could have done rain she could have done live to tell songs like mm, that yeah and she actually was asked about an unplugged during the kurt Lerner interview for the pajama party because and she said like i've entertained that thought but only for like a minute <laughs> but yeah, i think it was yeah. more of like everyone was doing unplugged and that was the thing like that was the big thing on mtv if, if you were promoting yourself unplugged was um a way to reintroduce yourself with you know applying a different style to to your music so madonna being like a pop artist you know you didn't really see kind of like a um a breakdown of her music meaning like a strip down of her music uh but you already kind of hear it on the record right like a secret is is more of like a stripped down what you might consider like a stripped down version of madonna um but i think it you're right it this would have been a perfect opportunity for her to do that. And for me, it would have been great for her to see an unplugged version of some tracks on this album, as well as some of her other tracks, just to at least like satiate the needs of the fans. If we're not going to get a tour, at least we can get something. Right. Because I think that the, you know, she wanted to go into Evita, like that was what she, her, her eye was on Evita. Um, and I think that what happened after this, obviously something to remember. Um, and those songs, even those songs, um, like uh, One More Chance, they would have lent themselves well to an unplugged performance yeah. as well. And I think that I remember when Something to Remember came out, um, she, I, I thought that that title, I remember being confused by that. And I'm, 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 I'll get back to the point but i remember being confused by that title because i thought like maybe she was announcing sort of like the end of her career at the time because she was saying like the songs are all but forgotten so here's something to remember and then i'm like peacing out um i was so glad that didn't happen (laughs) but i was always i was so sort of worried about that because it felt like why is she leaving us something to remember like are we gonna forget you know that kind of a thing but she um but I worried at the time that she was really going heavily into sort of like adult contemporary, um, um, becoming like an adult contemporary artist rather than an edgy one. Now we all know that that didn't end up happening because Ray of Light took her in a different direction. Right. But it took her a while. Um, 
though. And I think that's yeah. that cons- that was one of my concerns as a fan too. Is like, oh, is she turning into an adult contemporary artist? And I'm kind of, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, I'm not going to abandon her, but you know, I don't know if I'm feeling because it was from this album. You could say is like an adult contemporary album. I mean, yes, bedtime story and human nature are kind of more the the upbeat tracks, but. Other than that, it's it's really just like these slow ballad type songs, and so you get bedtime story. Um, so from '94, you have "I'll Remember," then you have the Bedtime Stories album, and then in '95 you get the Something to Remember album, and then in '96 you get Avita. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I I don't have a problem with adult contemporary, but you know, I'm just it's not something I'm necessarily going to be excited about. Right. And I, and I feel like if she had thrown an MTV Unplugged performance in, say, like maybe in 1995, I don't know, 5, 96, whatever, it would have sort of been a little bit of a cool factor that people would have been like, oh, she's not that at all contemporary because she's doing this. On MTV, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, she, you know, the 90s were, the 90s were, a dip, were an interesting time for her and it, and it, and it and kind of a, dip, a different sort of time to be a fan because it's, if you think about where they started and ended, I mean, they started with like Blonde Ambition and ended with, um, you know, the, the Ray of Light era and, and um, what, what's the song from Beautiful Stranger? And, you know, so I think that she, I think that the that middle part of of the '90s kind of felt like where are we necessarily going? Yeah. And I think after the Bedtime Stories album came out, she had a choice there. She could have like, had she not had Evita not been getting made, I think she probably would have gone on tour. Yep. It would, I don't know what what it necessarily would have looked like. I think it could would have really felt good as a theater tour with some unplugged stuff. Maybe um, maybe she would have been able to kick it up a notch and do Bedtime Story with like the the way she did it at the Brit Awards, who knows? Um, but I don't think she'd do much erotica stuff. I don't think she would do too many of her old songs. I think it would have been a lot of just the album. Yeah. But um, but I think it would have been a pretty cool tour. And Because the album did, in a way, bring her back into the public's good graces. Of course, yeah. Uh, and I think that was kind of, you know... One of the one of the things she wanted from the album too. I mean, she wanted a hit, and she got a number of them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm happy with where this place is in her legacy and the impact that it had. Um, yeah. I think in that time, though, I was I was kind of concerned of of where things were going as a fan. I was, and it, I was, too. yeah. And again, it's it's not about being disappointed or or that not being what I wanted, but it was more of like, well. What is this? Where's my dance, Madonna, gonna go? You know, you know what I mean. So, um, yeah. And, and if that's the reason why I became a fan, it's kind of the reason why I want to continue being a fan, and not have well, to like jump the, jump ship. And right, and that's why I kind of felt like when something to remember came out, I really being remember feeling like genuinely concerned, thinking, well, maybe she's actually this is a this is a sign. Maybe she's telling all her fans like. You know what? I've kind of just I'm done. I've been doing this for you know a decade and a half. I'm gonna take I'm gonna just take a break and go make this movie and then and then kind of like not do pop music anymore because the the liner notes from Something to Remember and the um, just the title Something to Remember like that suggests that there's the even the possibility that you might forget right. So she's leaving. Yeah. She's gonna offer you something to remember her by, um, but thankfully that did not end up being the case. Um, yeah, and here we are, but, um, 
Yeah, so bedtime stories, I don't know. It would have been fun. Even if even if she didn't want to tour it, it would have been fun to have an MTV Unplugged I would have show. loved that, yeah. Well, Greg, thank you for your time and talking to me about bedtime stories. It's it's one of the, for me, one of the, the prominent moments in her career. Um, uh, although I'll probably say that about most of her albums. But um, I think this was very a significant point in her career after Erotica and then before getting into like Avita and Ray of Light, uh, this was this was more of a um, a relaxed Madonna that we could just enjoy without there being a whole lot of like hyped up press. Even though like tons of stuff were going on, she was in fashion shows. She did that whole Versace campaign, which yeah. um, which I love because it's it also includes that one where she's like lying on the stairs in that purple dress with the apple and oh. I call it the snow white picture. Uh, and she was doing movies like blue in the face four rooms where she had blonde hair in the movie, but for some reason she had red hair on the cover. Um, <laughs> and then she was also recording girl six with her yeah. gal pal, Debbie Mazar. Um, that was being filmed at the time. Um, and that was like, it was a whole different, like weird type of era for Madonna. And I'm glad that you could spend the time and talk to me about it today. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It has been um, it has been a real joy, and um, yeah, a great, a, a very interesting period in Madonna's career. And I think it's it was good for us to talk about it because we were around the same age, sort of, you know, in like life yeah. uh, when we were experiencing it. So we perhaps experienced it more similarly than you know we would have if we were a decade right. apart. <laughs> so thank you. I hope you have a good night and a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving.